Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dave Neal here, host of the SAP Podcast. It's a solo episode, which means it's just you and me, baby. Tasha's out there at work doing her thing, making that money, and I am holed up in the home studio, holding down the fort, ready to go. I hope everyone is doing well out there. This is a Friday um, solo episode of the podcast. As you guys know, traditionally, I've made the podcast Sunday nights, and I air them on Monday. I'm being a little bit more flexible with my podcast schedule. Uh Uploading them Sunday night, while it's great in theory, has created this sort of negative connotation to Sundays for me, if you know what I mean, because it's like every Monday I've got a uh, school project due, and I don't see the podcast as a school project in the sense that it is a chore for me. I very much love doing it, but there's a lot of things in life that I love doing that I have to carve out time for, and when you carve out time for something, you're you're taking time away from something else. In the last few months... The YouTube has blown up so much, like my personal YouTube, that I have focused a lot of time and energy into it. And then the podcast, while I while I don't consider this the ugly stepchild of the family, it has been something that I I have just I just know I haven't been giving it as much love as I want because you know the podcast is great because we have interviews with friends. Last episode we had Caitlin Mamie on. And we talked about, uh, you know, she's self-producing her new comedy album. I hope you guys had a chance to listen. I think it's on Spotify and all over. And I love having conversations with different comedians about their dating lives, their love lives, what's going on, what troubles you, and this and that. With the solo episodes, I get to talk a little bit more freely about what's going on in my life. What's crazy is today, as I record this, it's April 15th. Hey, it's tax day. No one did their taxes. Did the pandemic teach us that taxes uh, are too complicated and they don't really matter? Because the first thing the government said was like, oh, yeah, don't get those taxes to us right away. We'll be fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, do we not do this anymore? <laughs> are we? All right. I say whoever made, whoever made more money passed like $10 million. If you made more than $10 million profit this year than you would have normally made because of the pandemic, I think you should be taxed at 50% of that. What is that? Is that a good idea? Anyone out there making at least $10 million a year and you want to fight me on that one, let me know. Please donate to the Patreon. This episode, while audio for all of my podcast listeners, is also a video episode on Patreon. Hello, Patreon members. They get the uh, access to the unlisted YouTube link, which lets them watch this. You know, some people like to watch a podcast. Uh, Some people like to listen. It really depends. But uh, what I've decided to do is stop releasing my podcast videos on my YouTube channel, and I'll tell you why. It's just a statistics thing. So everyone on my YouTube is watching my Bachelor content, which is great, and a small percentage of those people watch whatever I put out, and they are true heroes. You guys are amazing out there. But because it's a smaller percentage, it shows YouTube that my podcast videos have a lower chance at success because less people click on them, even if they still do well. So because of that, I've decided to stop posting my YouTube, my podcast videos on my YouTube channel. And I guess what I need to decide to do is whether or not I'll make a YouTube channel specifically for podcasts. But I, you know what? I struggle with that because I enjoy my intimate relationship with you guys through audio form only. It lets me uh, get out of my element and not worry about the cameras and really just talk to you guys. So that's what I'm thinking about. But yeah, the last while has been amazing. The last five, six weeks, we moved into this new apartment six weeks ago. And we've been documenting the whole process, but there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. I'm looking out the window here. The lighting is so good in this dang place. I can't tell you how much I wish we made this decision sooner. Like, I'm not, I don't regret any decisions Tasha and I make, but I tell you what, leap in the net will appear, baby. We were so ready to get out of our last place. We were just two people sharing a studio, like two little twin butterflies stuck in a cocoon. We punched our way out of that place so much. If you watch my latest YouTube video, my third vlog, I started a vlog channel called Dave Neal Vlogs. You see, once we took all of the furniture out of our studio, how dingy it actually looked. I mean, we really put some lipstick on a pig with this place. It had charm, you know, like the brick walls and a few little things. But for the most part, this building was so old and 
and the electricity was so bad. You couldn't run a hairdryer and in, in microwave, you know, a hot pocket at the same time. I mean, I'm not kidding. It was wild. I have a whole box of extension cords that I needed for the old place that I no longer need. My new place, there's just an outlet where you would expect an outlet to be. There's a, uh, you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, there's an outlet there. Well, that makes sense. Like there's one on every, you know, eight foot of wall in this place or whatever it may be. And anyway, so we're so happy with the move. It's been so amazing. But with the move has come a lot of changes that have had to be made. Uh, the pandemic has kind of been a perfect time to do this because we're not really socializing much. You know, we're still kind of riding it out. We both got our vaccine and our second vaccine will be getting this week. So uh, I think we'll feel a lot better after that. But, you know, with our employment with Tasha, she doesn't get on it. She, she won't uh, get any severance package. She's a freelancer. So if she has to lose work because of uh, catching COVID, uh, even if she doesn't have any adverse reactions to it, if she tests positive, she's going to have to stop working. And that's something that unfortunately, you know, I think we're all in similar situations. I got a voicemail from, uh, you know, some of these bachelor callers, the people that call into my YouTube channel. It's so heartbreaking and amazing. I got a voicemail from someone who says she listens to the podcast and just had a brain, just found out she had a brain tumor and she was going in for surgery. And to hear her story about her optimism uh, that she feels with about life, you know, she thinks she's going to make it out and she feels all this optimism. But at the same time, she lost her job earlier this year during the pandemic and lost her health insurance. How how sad and enraging of a scenario have we put ourselves in in our country where we have to, where the primary reason for GoFundMe is to provide health care to people that, you know, to, to provide the money so people can afford their rising health care costs. I mean, it's a real tragedy what's existing out there. And, you know, we, we always said, look, if the pandemic can't solve this healthcare problem, then what will? I mean, what will if this pandemic doesn't solve it? Come on, Democrats. You got the House. You got the Senate. You got Joe Biden in there, and we don't have any universal health care. So anyway, what is this, a podcast about health care? It is, folks, because if y'all die out there and can't afford your uh, whatever, you're not going to be listening to me anymore. But um, anyway, folks, I digress. I do. Uh, so yeah, we got a lot of boxes coming in for the new place. We're doing. We're pretty much, for the first time in my life, I'm trying to invest in quality products. It still hurts. I'm a cheap guy. I like that IKEA stuff. I like a cheap sale. I like I like finding things free. Back in my single days, you know, I when it, especially when I had a truck. If there was something free on the side of the road, that belonged to me now. I was literally like a gold miner of junk just you know, finding oh, hey, there's a nice cooler somebody didn't want anymore. It's like why didn't they want that cooler? Well, somebody's using it as their toilet now. That's why. You know, so I've always liked free or cheap stuff, but um you know, Tasha and I were trying to we're trying to uh, populate our back patio in a way that will a look right on camera. You know, because come on, you know, content is king. B, it will be a place where we can host people. We want to get back to hosting when the world opens back up. So we've been on the hunt for this one stupid bar top. It's a bar. We, so the first pl place we went to was this place called Big Lots. We were searching for a bar top. And we were thinking, um, this one that we found, it's like 50 something inches high. So it's not exactly like the height of a bar, but it's taller than a table. It's somewhere in between. It's very specific height. And it's a circular table, maybe five or maybe about a five or six feet radius. Uh, or is it diameter? Diameter is the full one, right? So it's a, anyway, yeah, it's about six feet reach on the diameter and, uh, math skills and it has a fire pit in the center. So you put the propane tank in the center, and then there's a fire pit. Uh, you can see a photo of this on my Instagram and on YouTube. But um, so, so that spoils that we bought it. But we found this a few weeks ago, and I was like, come on, we can't buy, you know, because the six... The six chairs that come with it, it's all very expensive because it, it doesn't come with two chairs. You got to buy all six. I'm like, I don't know if we need six chairs, uh, you know, but but we did say when we moved to this new place, there's no room for like a kitchen inside. So, you know, it's Southern California. It only rains five days a year. We can very easily have this outdoor fire pit bar top and we can use it year round. It gets a little cold at night. We used it this morning. We used it this morning with our morning coffee. It was, you know, a little chilly, maybe 60 degrees, maybe, maybe even a little colder than that. Turn the uh, bar top fire pit on have a coffee outside at around 7 a.m before i got to work and all that jazz but anyway so i didn't want us to buy it because it came out to like i don't know 1200 bucks you know and then um and i was like this is ridiculous it sh nothing should cost this much money for, for what we needed you know you know and then um 
We go back the next week and it's gone. We look online, it's gone. So Tasha is heartbroken that this bar top is gone. So uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Like I literally can't find it. The, the Whoever made it, it's just gone, guys. It's gone. After a couple of weeks, I was like, let's try a different store. So we tried a few different stores. They didn't have it. And then finally we went to this one store for Big Lots and they had it in stock, but they had the final shelf model. And then I feel like the old guy, cause I'm like, I guess I got to ask for a discount because it's the shelf model. You know what I mean? It was missing like a bolt. The magnet didn't work that closes the door. Just, you know, a couple little things that weren't deal breakers, but I was like, man, if I don't get this, Tasha's going to be for the next two years, like, ah, that bar top fire pit we could have had. Like she really liked it. So I was like, all right, if she likes it, I like it. It's a good fit for us. And I, so I, they ended up giving me a 10% discount, which isn't much for a shelf model. So we went and bought it, but I was like, all right, I'm not buying the stupid chairs. Cause you know, you, you had the option to buy the chairs or not buy the chairs. I was like, I'm not going to buy the stupid chairs. We'll find something else. But then we look online and you can't find a stool that fits that, that specific size. There's smaller chairs and taller chairs, but it's like that Goldilocks thing where we couldn't find a stool in the middle. So I was like, gosh, man, you're going to make me go back to this place and buy these stools. So we go back to the place to buy the stools. They're sold out. But guess what? They have another bar top fire pit. So I'm thinking, are they lying to me? Is Big Lots lying to me right now? Telling me, oh, it's a final shelf model. You should buy it. And then I buy it. And then there's another shelf model. I even asked them. I was like, what happened to that shelf model? I thought you guys were all sold out. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone returned it. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I, un- I get the ruse. I see what's going on here. So I ended up buying the six chair, the six stools. It took us three car loads. The way they were built, since they were already put together, because we had to buy the shelf model on the stools, is that we could barely fit two of them in a Prius. And then we came back with my car. So uh, we had, we ended up doing three full loads. It was a mess, guys. But uh, yeah, we're populating the back. And then yesterday... Tosh is one of these Chase lounges. Again, I go for the cheap version. I wanted the Ikea ones. But the Ikea Chase lounges, here's the problem with manufacturers. The cheap version is never cheap enough to justify it. Like the cheap version has zero resale value. But to get an outdoor Chase lounge, you know, like a patio lounge, something you sit by the beach or the pool, I mean, those, those cost like $500 each, which is insane to me. We looked at restoration hardware and some of these stores, it's like the, nothing, no amount of lumber warrants. I don't care if this is made out of gold. It is not worth the price to go sit out there and sweat with a little bit of a, you know, some oil on your chest trying to get a tan. I just, I just refused it. Well, we found on Facebook Marketplace like uh, a couple of these chairs that originally went for, um, I think, 400 each and the lady was selling them two for 500 and, and then I was like, well, you take 350 for it. And then she immediately said, yes. And I was thinking, man, my negotiation sucks. You know, whenever anyone immediately says yes to a, no, to a negotiation, I always feel like I started too high. Like maybe I should have said like, how about two for two, for, you know, whatever. But anyway, I was like, oh man, does this mean she's robbing me? Are these things, I, I'll tell you what, I bought these chase lounges yesterday, two for 350. And again, I got them because it's like the perfect aesthetic Tasha wants. If you've been following our Instagrams, we've lived in such, I don't, it wouldn't be justice. It wouldn't be fair to call it poverty. We've lived this lower middle income life, you know, Los Angeles, it's expensive. You know, Tasha's always made good money. I'm doing a little bit better now, but still a studio rent controlled in LA still is running us 1400. We moved into a new place that, um, you know, isn't quite double that, but you know, it's expensive. A lot of people that listen in the Midwest or in other parts of the country could easily have a mortgage to a very nice house for what we pay in rent. Like it's, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. You know, Tasha's job as a, as a fit model only can exist uh, either in downtown Los Angeles or parts of New York City. That's it. That's the only place that, that she can be living in making this money. So until my income gets to a place where I'm comfortably um, covering bills and also covering her income, this is just where we're going to be. I, I suppose we'll be here for several more years at the very least. Uh, but anyway, so, so yeah, it's... um we've just lived this world where we've cut corners on cost. I've always, you know, I've spent 10 years, you know, working and acting and struggling to get extra work and background work and just taking whatever jobs I can, you know, and then living paycheck to paycheck. And then finally to be able to embrace the abundance, you know, to get out there and to, you know, uh, uh, Marion Williamson's laws of divine compensation, just to say there's enough, there's enough, 
you know, abundance in the world for all of us. It's been a real, it's been a real hard yet, yet rewarding lesson to learn rewarding in the sense that I'm like, all right. And we're not, not to say I'm being frivolous with money, but just to say, all right, you want to get a nice couch. Let's get a nice couch. Let's get a couch that's going to have value. That's going to last. And it's almost like there's, there, there's been studies done that like, like being poor, it costs more money. Like you, like per dollar, you spend more money when you're poor because you got to buy the two pack of paper towels versus the Costco version. You got it. Like you can't, look far enough ahead where you're buying the cheap things that just get you by when in fact, if you had the money, you might set yourself up in a way where your dollar goes farther for you. So that's what you kind of have to deal with, uh, kind of coming out of the closet of living in poverty, living in a way that's below what your means should be. And part of that, like I said, is just the cost of living in a big city. I drive a car that's a 2004 Toyota Matrix. Um, as you guys know, I've had the car battery stolen three times. The license plates were just stolen. The doors kicked in. I got a sledgehammer on the roof. Nonstop, just torment this car is taken. But I'm like, you know, it gets me where I need to go. Like, at what point will I get to a place where I'm like, Dave, value the wheels that get you where you need to go. I still operate, and I'm not there yet, but I still operate from that principle of like, you know, drive it into the ground and, you know, save your money and this and that. And, and that's all good and all. But I, but currently I'm thinking, what's the best way to get to be... Sh- okay, so I look at it like... Ver- I, I like to look at the economics of work. And, you know, it's like, it's like the guy who's got to put coal into the train, right? If you got to keep that train moving, that train that's moving is income, right? So how do you keep that train moving? You keep shoveling coal into that train. For me with YouTube, that means sometimes waking up at 5 a.m. to get a video out so that it goes live on the East Coast because if I can get it out at a certain hour, it might perform better. So you make sacrifices to keep that train moving. And then the question is, like, at what point does the train just move on its own? At what point do the... You know, like, uh, like put it this way. If, if I were to buy a shovel that was very expensive, but it was better on my back at shoveling coal into that train, you could say, well, it's worth your time and money to buy that shovel. You know what I mean? So when it comes to the YouTube channel, I paid $105 for this one cord that connects my DSLR, my DSLR camera, my, my Sony A6000 camera, and it connects it to my laptop. Cord costs $105. It's just a little cord. It's called a cam link. But it takes it takes the video from the camera and puts it onto my laptop instantaneously, which allows me the chance to live stream. Because of that, YouTube and for other reasons has picked up my content more. And now I'm getting 14 to 15 million impressions a month on my YouTube channel from YouTube saying, hey, check out this guy's content. It has brought me to a world market. It has been a lifesaver and it wouldn't be dramatic and wrong of me to call it a answer to my prayers and a true miracle for what it has done. The podcast hasn't done that. YouTube has done that. Unfortunately for the podcast, it still sort of tinkers in obscurity. People that are fans and that enjoy what we do, we love you. You guys love us, hopefully. That's why you listen. And it's just a much smaller crowd. So if I, so, and because of the pandemic, the podcast listenership has gone down maybe 50%. So what used to be like a good month would be like, 10,000 downloads on, you know, on the podcast. Now a good month is like 6,000 downloads. Um, yesterday there was a, an hour on my YouTube that got 11,000 views. So 11,000 views an hour on, on YouTube versus 6,000 downloads a month on the podcast. So you can understand why YouTube has been something I've, I've said, okay, well, if this is going to be the vehicle that gets us where we need to go, then this is what we need to promote. But again, it is no, it is no, um, not to sound, sh- not to sound short-sighted and it's nothing against the podcast audience. That's just where the numbers are these days. So what I look forward to doing as the patio is being created and as the Chase Lounge gets built, because now I got to put this all together. As I do all of that, I'm looking forward to sort of building a, an area where I can 
do the podcast in a way that sort of recreates that sort of vibe that we have that's very conversational and very uh, low key. I think the bar top will be the place we do it, but um, stay tuned for that. In the meantime, uh, we're still sort of like, you know, Tasha and I, we're still trying to figure out, carve out our space in a new place and uh, get that all together. But we look forward to making changes in one way or another. I don't know what they'll be, but we got to make changes in one way or another with how we with how we uh, record the podcast and really celebrate those moments. Um, and it might, it might be that I only do uh, interview podcasts twice a month or once a month, and then the other ones are just me doing solo. Let me know what you guys think. Please slide into my DMs at dneils on Instagram and let me know what you guys think. What do you like best? What would you, what would you want most from a podcast as I kind of take it to the next stage? I, I really would love to hear what you guys have to say. And um, th- this episode, if you're following along, following along on the Patreon, you'll see I just, I just clicked over to a new slide on the video. I'm going to be sharing with you guys uh, some questions. You guys know I like to kind of find questions on Reddit in the relationship subreddit. They're always a ton of fun. So let's read a few of these questions for this episode, and I uh, will give you my opinions on them, some dating and relationship questions. So this says, my stepbrother is extremely mad at me, a 22-year-old female, because his enemy, the stepbrother's 18 and his enemy's 18. My stepbrother, who's 18, is extremely mad at me, a 22-year-old female, because his enemy hired me to work at his birthday party. I think it's hilarious that an 18-year-old has an enemy, but I'm, I'm curious. There's no way to sugarcoat what I currently do for a living, so I'll be as blunt as possible. I dance, pole dance, for, or strip, whatever you want to call it, at private parties. It's been my primary source of income since the pandemic started, and I was let go from my previous job as a graphic designer. I still freelance graphic design, but it's not enough to pay the bills. People know what I currently do for a living alongside freelance. It's not a secret. A few days ago, I got called to dance work at a private birthday party for an 18th birthday. They offered to pay me almost double what I usually charge for a usual night of dancing. I, kn- I knew the guy that wanted me at his party went to the same high school as my stepbrother, but I didn't know if they are somehow connected. Plus, I wasn't going to reject a very, very good offer for two to three hours of work. Nothing was out of the ordinary about the request, except for the fact they explicitly requested I wear latex. People don't usually make clothing requests, but I didn't really mind, and I'm not exactly in a position to judge anyone's preference. The party went as usual. They were being uh, asshole-ish towards me, but that kind of comes with the territory of what I currently do for a living. At the end of the night, I got paid in full, plus tips, and even got told I'll be called again for future parties because they liked what they got. Everything went sort of as planned. My stepbrother called me the next day, and he was maniacal about the whole situation. He's never yelled at me before in his life. He was hysterical. He started telling me how I danced at his enemy's birthday party and that he and the guy that hired me have a long, hateful relationship between them. He said the whole group of friends is bashing him about his stepsister dancing at their party and how they all slept with her. Apparently, they even had a nickname for me and told my stepbrother I'm on their speed dial. He's extremely livid about the whole situation, but I'm not sure how to approach it. Help him. I did what I do for a living without knowledge of the situation, but frankly, they paid me handsomely, so I'm not sure I'd have refused either way. Is there anything I can do or say to my stepbrother to make him understand my position and calm him down? I've waited a day, but he's still as livid as the first time he called me. He literally won't stop being hysterical every time we talk. Well, this is very fascinating. I mean, you didn't know you didn't know the situation, so your intentions weren't to hurt him. It's kind of one of those like, sorry, man, sorry, your enemy got you. You know, that's kind of what it is. Your enemy got you. By the way, he said that they said they slept with him. Did the whole party sleep with you? I guess, you know, as long as it's consensual, uh, do what you got to do out there. Um, then, um, but yeah, very interesting. You got to feel bad for the brother, but also feel bad that she said as she's a graphic designer and because of the pandemic, this is what she has to do for a living. I mean, look, if you like doing, if you like the money, I know plenty of people that get into stripping. We've had, um, Carolyn, um, we've had Carolyn on the podcast too, who's a stripper. Uh, you know, I actually talked to her recently. She hasn't been stripping during the pandemic, um, because obviously, you know, stripping at house parties, you don't have to follow the guidelines that you would if you're actually stripping at a strip club. But um, Caroline Georges, um, our friend from Alaska, is a Los Angeles uh, uh, stripper and also stand-up comedian. And she she was uh, talking about how that like she's basically had to take the year off. So you know people are tra- doing what they have to do to to survive. But yeah, what can you do? Like the guy's gonna get over it. You know he's 18. He's I'm sure it's like. You know, when you're 18, you think the whole world like revolves around you and you think it's some big deal. And that is maniacal. It for sure is maniacal that his enemy called you to dance for them or do whatever. But at the same time, you say you might do it again because the money's good. So it's kind of like, I don't know, strange situation out there. 
So this is from a 24-year-old female talking about her 28-year-old male partner. She said, my partner will be rude and snap on me at least once a week, but no one else. Why? She said, I wouldn't have gotten engaged to someone who behaves like this. This all started happening within the last year. And I'm so confused and heartbroken for why he started treating me this way. He's even admitted to me that he doesn't know why he treats everyone else fine and normally, but but me now. It's starting to degrade my self-esteem and happiness. We'll be good after a fallout. The cycle goes like he snaps, he apologizes, says he'll change, we'll be good, and it'll last a week. But then slowly his loving and respectful energy degrades again. He starts to disconnect and then snaps, rinse and repeat. Why would this start happening? And then she shared a small example. The other day we were goofing around and he tried to shove a cat treat in my face. So I tried to restrain him. I backed into a pot on the stove and it made a scraping sound. He flipped out and said that I always take things too far, that I'm too much. He did a dismissive hand wave as he walked away, kicked the chair yelling, fuck, and said, I'm so fucking sick of it. Well, I mean, look, this is the issue you have to deal with with relationships. Because, you know, Tasha and I talk about this all the time. We're like, Tasha... Like, uh, our dynamic is similar in the sense that Tasha, I'll trip her getting angry at me 10 times more than she'll ever trip me getting angry at her. Because I don't, I show my my anger or my frustration at, at maybe in a different way than she does. So, so she's got a very specific, like, set of tripwire that when it's tripped... I, I, I no longer am her fiance. I'm an enemy. And that's kind of like the fight or flight mentality. So it might be that your guy, when, when he feels defensive for whatever reason whatsoever, his energy is now not the loving fiance or boyfriend or whatever you are, but the energy is now like he he's defensive because it's us versus them. And when you get into this sort of tribal feeling, us versus them, you're never going to win. So what's important is to get out of those situations as quickly as possible. Like they always say, like the first step of getting the first step of getting out of a fight is knowing when you're in one and just getting out. Just, you know, it's one thing to have a productive convo, but if your Olympics are flared, if you're in a fight or flight mode, if you're not rational, just, you know, like um, Tasha and I the other day were in the car and the car can be tough, especially if she's not driving. Tasha can get upset when she's not driving and, and kind of um, get anxious. And she was going on about something. The funny thing is, I don't even remember what it was about, but I kind of just like let her say what she had to say. And I wasn't going to react to it, because, and I, but I wasn't like ignoring her thoughts. I just wasn't going to heighten the situation. So it's important not to heighten the situation, but then afterwards... You know, don't let it go either. Just say, man, it seems like once a week I do something that pisses you off so much that you no longer remember that we are loving partners. And when you do that, it makes me feel like you don't value who I am and you don't give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm trying my best. So that's what part of the relationship is, is like giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Choosing love as a verb in the sense that love is actively working towards that understanding and every once in a while you let your guard down you know last night I was being I was very anxious and I was like all right Dave we were in the store and like Tasha's like looking at she's like do I want to get this cucumber or this cucumber and in the back of my head I'm thinking I'm stressed out because I haven't edited this thing that I have to edit so I was like all right Dave just calm down you're gonna be a dick like I'm, I'm the last to know when I'm being a dick even if I feel like it's warrant. Even if I feel like being a dick is warranted, it never comes off that way by the other person. So it's important to feel your feelings. I had to feel that I had anxiety. I had to feel that I didn't want to be there and feel like, you know, feel those feelings. Know that it's not her fault. She wants to go to the grocery store and look at cucumbers and we'll be okay. And we got out of it. Okay. It was a good example where I avoided my reptilian response, which had been like, pick whatever cucumber you want. Jesus Christ, we got to go. Like I avoided that snapping and took a breath and kind of got myself under control. So for you, I say, look, you can't avoid how you deal with this person, but whatever pent up resentment he's got towards you, whatever that feeling is that he feels he has to unleash, he needs to work on that. You have to give him the space to work on that, but also acknowledge when if it's something that's like happening on a calendar, like once a week, like, you know, sometimes it's like Sunday nights, you know, oh, you got that big business meeting every Monday morning and Sunday nights is always a fight. It's like, oh, let's shine some light 
onto the dark side. Lights, you know, uh, sunlight's the greatest disinfectant. So shine some light and just say, you know what? I feel like the night before a meeting, you're always on edge. I understand you might be anxious, but if I can help you in some way address what that may be, I'll give you space if you want to be alone or whatever, you know? You know, it's all about figuring out each other, each other's triggers and trying your best to help each other overcome them. This is from a 27-year-old female. She says, I love my husband, who's a 30-year-old male. I love, ha- I love having moved to Brooklyn with him, but holy shit, I cannot stand his horribly intrusive family. I like them. I just hate how much they are a part of my life. The idea of moving to New York City, to me, was terrible. I was a small-town girl in Maine. Always hated the idea of cities, but we moved here for my husband's job, and I'm not going to lie, I do love it. I also love my husband more than anything. I mean, we got along great back in Maine, but something about the city has made our marriage much stronger. Things are good overall, very good. I mean, we've been married for four years, and the last 10 months we've spent in the city has been great, even with the pandemic. I never, ever thought I would be okay with such a small living space and the subway, but here I am. However, I kind of cannot stand his family. I mean, the thing is, I like them as people. They're very fun, very audacious very supportive and friendly, a blast to be around, but it's also too much. I don't know if this is a New York, a Jewish, Italian, he's both, but really both sides are similar thing. But family is such a huge deal here. Like they're just so intrusive and aggressive in terms of trying to be a part of our lives. He has three siblings and they're all fine with the exception of one addict brother, but it's the aunts and uncles and cousins, just an endless array of family constantly coming over or making plans with us. It'll always feel rude to say no. My husband gets it. He actually warned me this would happen. And it sucks because I do love them as people and I really find them to be incredibly loving and friendly, but I'm just not the type of person to be this social, you know? I grew up in a small town. The idea of all these family members and also neighbors who grew up with them might as well be family. Constantly being with us sometimes makes me feel like we don't get much alone time. And I remember going to my cousin's house and it was so hectic. Or sorry, his cousin's house, and it was so hectic. Two kids, but also tons of cousins, lots of pasta. Wow, I love the food. People coming in and out. I was never used to growing up. It was just me and my parents, a very calm household. We never had this kind of extended family upbringing. You know what's interesting is Tasha's sort of the same way, like where my family's always got people coming in and out, and I think it's stressful for her, and I think she grew up in a much smaller family. And yeah, it's like it comes down to a personality type. It sounds like you got some introverted you know, tendencies where you like being alone, you get your energy in a nice, quiet, serene place. And then all of a sudden they exhaust you. You said it's upsetting because I really do love them and feel like their culture is so appealing to me. It's also hilarious and charismatic and amazing, but I'm just exhausted by it. It's a lot. I spend far more time socializing in general with people here, let alone with the family and neighbors connected to my husband. I'm not, oh, I'm not an introvert, but I'm also not used to his lifestyle. In Maine, I often spend entire weeks without socializing, and that was the norm. Here, forget about it. We run into neighbors or family or friends every week. And I am fine with running into people, but it's more the intrusions I am frustrated with. People seem to be fine with just coming over like it's no big deal. Oh my gosh, Tasha would hate this. Tasha hates it when people come over. She wants the whole place completely immaculate clean, which I get it, but also it's like a lot. My husband understands and both of us acknowledge it's incredibly difficult to say no to this stuff. Some part of me is like, hey, I'll just get used to it. They all have, right? But my husband mentions that I could just fake a headache at any time I want, anytime I want alone time and they would totally understand and we could say I get chronic headaches. That sounds appealing, but it's also lying. And I would kind of abuse it, I feel, which I don't want to do because I know myself. And if I have this type of crutch, I will overuse it even when I know I should be social. What should we do? This isn't the type of situation where we could be like, hey, we don't want you coming over as often because these aren't those types of people who would take that nicely. Well, well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. In New York, it might be, you know, people just see each other on the streets. You're always kind of, I feel like uh, that New York socializing, you don't have like some cul-de-sac to fall back on where you're you're kind of separated um and uh, you know this family dynamic can change between families i know my mom hates it when like one of her her brothers comes over just because it doesn't mean she doesn't like seeing him it's just that he comes over and like stays a long time and emotionally it's a lot he doesn't like you know he doesn't sort of bring his fair share of you know pie to the table and I can totally understand that I can totally understand that you know and I guess it's like you want your husband to go to bat for you and it seems like he does you can't change your family like my family my family can be it can be a lot we because we're always in town when there's some sort of holiday so there's always big events going on and meetings and this and that and it's just a lot and and um you know that's that's the way it is so you marry into the family and um you know 
find out what you need to do to wrap your head around your own mental health before you get stuck into, you know, in, into whatever events you need to go to. Like find out the, the best version of who you are and how to control your own happiness. And maybe you'll find it more, um, more, or you'll find it easier to digest when it does come time to hanging out with them. But the fact that you said like you run into their family once a week, that doesn't seem like that much to me. Is it that much to run into someone's family once a week? I mean, it's one thing if someone's got their buddy coming over every day at 5 PM, but, um, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe you need to get a cat. Are they allergic to cats? <laughs> you try to get a cat. Okay. Here's an interesting one. This is a 21-year-old female. She said, my partner, who's a 23-year-old male, my partner's mom still keeps close contact with his ex. I'm really just looking for advice on if I'm overreacting or not. My partner was in a relationship from a young age for six years with his ex. They split because they weren't making each other happy anymore. That's what he told me. But there's no bad blood between them. He was single for about a year before we met, and we have now been together for over a year. His mom is a lovely person who I get on with really well and feel as though I have a genuine friendship with, which I also believe is how his ex was with her. That doesn't bother me as they are a very welcoming family. My partner is very honest with me and told me early on that his mom and ex do meet up occasionally to catch up. At first, this didn't bother me, but I'm a classic overthinker, and as our relationship has gone on, it has bothered me more and more. What I want to know is if this is something I shouldn't let bother me. I do struggle with anxiety, which is something I'm working through in therapy, and my partner has been amazing, helping me overcome a lot of things that I've struggled with from an early age. His family has been incredibly welcoming, and I could see how his ex and his mom would build a friendship over the years from the way I, might, I myself feel with her. I know that she will sometimes tell my partner things she knows about her ex, but I don't believe he ever asks and that she only tells him things as a heads up or sorts as they were together for six years. Sorry if this is a ramble. Just want to get my head clear. Thank you if you've read my mundane problems. Um, and then the edit was, thank you for those who have taken the time to comment. Honestly, I felt better as soon as I posted as I've felt I'd been able to put my thoughts into actual sentences. Everyone's telling me they don't think it's a big deal, which is relieving to hear, to say the least. My partner doesn't talk to her or meet up with her. That would be a whole different situation because whilst his ex is a nice person, it is still his ex and that wouldn't feel right to me. I know he does also talk to his ex's mom from time to time, but he's told me that he got on well with her parents separately too. feel like it's one of those times where I've got to take a breath and let it go. You know, the, the in the two biggest exes that I had that were like, pivotal in my life. I actually never met the parents. You know, they were actually short-lived relationships and they were relationships that were outside, like the parents didn't live nearby, so I didn't meet them. And But I do remember when I broke up with one of my exes that a lot of my, fr my family still followed her on social media and it really pissed me off because it felt like they were putting their thoughts about my ex ahead of my feelings. And I, I got really upset about that because I'd be like, why is it that you think you have the right to still know somebody when I'm done with them, when they're done with me? And it felt opportunistic and raw, and I can totally understand that feeling. Uh, my, my cousin stayed friends with my ex on social media, and they would, like, comment on each other's photos. And I know women be commenting on each other's photos, but I was like... Are you kidding me right now? I didn't want to be with the ex anymore. It was just like a principal thing. I was like, oh, really? Like, I was like a tribal thing, which probably isn't right, but so I can understand the feeling at least. But uh, I guess also on the same token, it's not rare to think that you liked somebody uh, enough to date them. So then your family sort of fell for them and then you no longer dated them, but what, the family's not supposed to like them anymore? So I kind of get it, but uh, hopefully uh, hopefully, uh, your uh, boyfriend's mom will... Uh, appreciate your relationship with him more than, you know, the other way around. So, all right, let's go to our final one here. Our final question here by a 23 year old female, lots of young twenties questions. My boyfriend, who's a 23 year old male keeps inappropriately staring at me on the streets and it's making me uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Did I read that wrong? Keeps inappropriately staring at women on the streets and it's making me uncomfortable. Now, hear me out. I don't care if my boyfriend occasionally looks at a woman because she looks good. I do that sometimes when I see attractive guys, but it happens all the time. 
when me and him are out together, he keeps staring at girls behind, behind girls behinds and chest for a prolonged amount of time that it's so obvious. It could be girls that we're having a conversation with or girls next to us or even girls walking by. And sometimes he zoned out when we're having a conversation and I look back at where he's looking and he's looking at a girl's behind again. There was a time where I could see one of the girls getting uncomfortable and once it was an underage girl. Yes, I feel bad and disrespected sometimes that he's distracted looking at girls when I'm there with him and he barely looks at me. But the main issue is I'm so embarrassed to take him out with me. Another issue is he's always been a nerdy, introverted, gamer type of guy. He's also been to clubs twice in his life. Now he's being been excessively talking about how he would love going out to clubs with me or with his friends. This conversation always makes me uncomfortable because I know he's going to do it even more there when I'm with him. He's never given me a reason to suspect he might cheat, but I might feel slightly uncomfortable with him going out doing that type of stuff and having no sense of self-control. I brought up the issue lately, and he confessed he does that a lot, that it's a habit he's trying to get rid of, and he sincerely apologized. He asked me to help him next time I see him do it and try to stop him. I told him that that was absurd. There's no point in me trying to stop him if he doesn't stop himself. The only thing me telling him to stop would do is stop him from doing it that day or in front of me. I don't know what to do at this point. Well, I think, first of all, it's a respect thing. I don't think there's a scenario where a guy doesn't check somebody out. Uh, I can't speak for women. I'm sure. I I, th- I feel like this. I feel like if a I feel like, and this is gonna be speaking in generalizations here. I know all women love to be generalized. I get it. I get. It. But I think if a guy if a guy's like a construction worker and he's got his shirt off and he's got six pack abs, I think women will check that out. So I think there's a threshold that like, well, a woman will check out an attractive guy. Absolutely. But men will check out every, every woman. I mean, men are dogs. There's just something hardwired in our DNA that is just wants to check things out. Just driving around town, checking things out. Now, it's disrespectful if you're maintaining like extended eye contact and making somebody feel uncomfortable. It's disrespectful if, you know... First of all, it's disrespectful if he's with you doing that. So it becomes a respect thing. I think it's fair. I know David Dita talks about this in his uh, in his book, um, The Superior Man. But I think it's fair that a guy or a girl can receive whatever energy someone else is putting out. So if like someone walks by, if someone runs by you, like they're jogging in a sports bra and like booty shorts, I think it's okay to like acknowledge that they're running by you. That doesn't mean as they run by you, you just like hurt your neck as you turn and look at them and Google them and do like cartoon noises like, ooga guy, ooga you know, whatever. But I think it's okay for like the woman to, you know, check out the guy walking his dog and be like, damn, that guy's hot. And it's, and it's okay for another guy to check out a mom walking her kid and be like, ooh, wow, that mom's smoking hot. It's just when it comes to that level where you're catcalling, where you're making someone feel uncomfortable, where you're being obvious about it. So it's like anything with humanity. It's about like, it's about like minimizing whatever those urges are, those primal urges, and just understanding if you're going to be checking somebody out, I'm speaking to the guy here, you're just going to be blatantly disrespecting your girl. You, because if you're checking out another girl, she's going to think, what, are you, would you prefer to look at her than look at me? Now, what you can also, you know, there are times when like when Tasha and I are walking down the street and if a girl walks by with like, I don't know, we were <laughs> for Easter, we were at, uh, we were going to Easter mass, which we haven't been to, or I'm sorry, it wasn't mass because mass is Catholic. I call everything mass. We're going to Easter service. And beforehand, I was like, you, I was like, you know, there's going to be like a pastor's daughter that's going to have like a dress that's like two inches too short. And everyone's going to be like, oh, that's the, you know, that's the girl who's like, you know, down to party or whatever. And I'm not saying if you have a short dress, you're down to party. The point was, is that there's that sort of like stereotypical trope that like the pastor's daughter is kind of a freak because she was raised kind of repressed. And it's just a, it's just a thought, right guys? So Tasha and I were joking around about that. And she was like, oh, you, you, like that doesn't even, that's not a real thing. And I was like, come on, you kidding me? Like in Los Angeles, I was like, trust me. Well, we, we get to the, we get to the church service. It's outdoors. It's like very spread out. It's in this beautiful church. Uh, and this lady walks by with gigantic fake boobs and a very, very revealing dress. And everyone in that church, including the Holy Spirit knew what was going on. 
she was walking by with her, you know, and, and every and she has every right to. And the the deal is, is like, all right, you got your sunglasses on, acknowledge it. Uh, no, not acknowledge it in a way where you tell your whole group, hey, look at that. Every, you just know, you go, oh, well, there's a girl with big boobs. You just notice things. Like our eyes are constantly scanning. We're constantly scanning for threats, but also for like, pro, we're scanning for like procreation, right? So when we're scanning for threats, we're like, all right, is that thing going to eat me? All right, is that thing dangerous? Or is that person dangerous? Is that a predator? We're just constantly, our brain is constantly working to to keep us alive. But at the same time, it's working to procreate. So when it sees something that's quote unquote hot, which, you know, would be like, you know, uh, someone who's got their, their you know, tight fitting jeans or whatever it may be. The brains, the that reptilian side of the brain's going like, oh yeah, go time. And then it's up to your sort of, normal side to be like dave relax take a breath enjoy it you've got one of the you've got a a woman that loves you so someone with a nice ass can walk by doesn't it doesn't take away what my woman has and i think that's a healthy thing to say to not to not pretend like it doesn't exist but to say okay put that in the back pocket put it in the back pocket somebody was attractive great but you don't want to extend the look to a point where it's going to make your own lady feel insecure and i think that's the problem here obviously right the problem here is that um so someone in the comments says last time this post came up most of the men most of the comments were he's male he can't help but i'll go women that's not true we guys can control our eyeballs except medical problems like paralysis yeah no look you can control your eyeballs so you can decide not to ogle a woman but like if someone's in your eye line and you notice them or whatever disrespectfully want to check someone out i think that's fine if tasha wants to check out if there's like a college lacrosse team that runs by with their shirts off first of all i'll be the first one to be like geez look at these guys ripped you know what i mean i'll be the i'm the weirdo like that so like i feel like tasha and i are maybe in a boat where we've become so open with each other that we will sort of both notice people that are out there and be like, geez, that guy's got nice shoulders. Yeah, honey, I thought so too. You know, whatever. Uh, Someone says, what is he, a freaking dog? A 23-year-old man certainly can control what their eyeballs do and do not stare at. He's just choosing not to because he's an idiot. Sounds like you can do better. Yeah, well, I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, it's one thing to look at someone as another to like make your, your significant other so uncomfortable they have to call you out. I'll say this. Seven years of my relationship, Tasha's never had to be like, why did you keep staring at her? It's because I didn't, because I knew to take a look, move along, folks. Someone said, why are you with someone that repeatedly disrespects you and others, possibly underage women? Yeah, he wants you to fix it for him. What an idiot. What a cop out. It's if he was, as if what he was doing wasn't disrespectful enough. This takes the cake. Yeah, so so it's pretty obvious there that people think that uh, this guy, I mean, yeah, he's an adult, but he's still at that age where like, you know, I don't know. Has he been in a relationship before? Has he acknowledged these issues before? Clearly, if you need to be the one that helps restrict what he's doing, he's got his own problems. But maybe try to go to the club with him. Maybe there's a scenario where you both can sort of like get get it out of your system. But if you don't feel comfortable, like do you check guys out? Maybe you should try that one day is just start checking out every guy. Like the mailman walks by and you're like, Oh my gosh, that man can really, you know, carry a package. Look at the way he's gripping that parcel and see what your boyfriend does, you know? See what see, maybe and maybe then he could be like, "Oh yeah, it does I do feel lesser than and people aren't just objects. They are humans and this and that." I don't know, folks. Let me know what you guys think. Well, this was your Friday episode. Uh, I do love you guys. I appreciate everyone who stuck around this year. It's been an it's been an incredible year. It's been a crazy year. Uh, tragedy, successes. There's been a lot of that. Um, Saturday, Tasha gets her second dose of her vaccine, and I get mine a couple days later. We're on offsetting schedules, and I uh, I look forward to the world opening back up. I know we're not there yet. I know a lot of issues Tasha and I have always talked about with ourselves have been sort of buried because of the pandemic. Uh, one of the biggest issues I think we have that we have to figure out is the quality time we spend together. And sometimes like I, I gains, I love, I love my relationship. I love when Tasha and I hang out and I tell her all this, I love cooking and traveling and so much that we do, but there's also another side of me. And I, maybe you guys can relate where like, I need uh, put it this way. Tasha spent the last year working, you know, she still has to go to work. I've been at working at home. So my social life has been only stand up comedy for the most part. 
Um, I don't do much else other than stand up and come home and YouTube and whatever. So the fact that this last year stand up was taken away from me, I, I have replaced it in some ways through the internet and certain things, but it has been tough to a point where I think the relationship hasn't had to, to, to we haven't had to worry about like what time are you going to be home for dinner? That type of conversation still is tough for me because, you know, with stand up, you are working at night. Like I just wish, I wish every night I did stand up, I could like buy Tasha a pass to a spin class. So she could like go burn off whatever energy she needs to burn off while I burn off my stand up energy. And, you know, maybe let me know if you guys have any ideas about like how to split time when you, when your schedules don't line up, because that's, that's kind of what the problem is. It's like, now that I'm going to be getting back into stand up, how do I do stand up? How do I pursue that and do it in a way where I'm able to still make time for quality time and, and be a, a decent guy. And that, that's kind of the question that I have. So let me know if you guys have any advice from me, because God knows I need it. But um, we do appreciate everyone hanging out and sticking around and supporting us. And to those that are listening to this audio, you can check out the Patreon, which is where we put all the private episodes. That's patreon.com slash the sap. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash T-H-E-S-A-P. Big shout out to everyone on the Patreon for all your support. I appreciate y'all so, so much. You've been so crucial and helpful in helping us build the set. And uh, I think my next purchase is going to be getting a second or third live stream camera and getting one of the, they have these boxes that cost a couple hundred bucks and you're able to click between which camera you want in live time. So, so you don't have to edit it in post-production. I think that would literally save five hours of my life every single episode. So speaking of like finding the efficient ways to, uh, to do your work, I'm thinking that might be the next step. And I, I appreciate that everyone who watches and listens over at Patreon has been uh, paramount in helping us um, fund a lot of these uh, ways to get our story across. So thank you so much to everyone out there. Thank you for all the well wishes. We will be back next week for another episode of The Sap. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>